Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Rosa and comrades, the revolution is back. Said comrades are Billy and Tom. Guys, I'm so delighted to have you back again after you both completely bottled it last week when we lost. How are you both doing? Very good. Yeah, very good, man. Very, very good. Yeah, Just back for the glory. Better than after the Fulham game, yeah. (laughs) It's fair enough. Um, we will discuss that glorious Saturday afternoon at Burnley, assess the transfer window, fume at the international break, robbing us of our and ball fix, catch up with the latest at Spurs Women, give you our culture picks, and go through this week's rolling in the tweets. And we're going to try to keep it to a tidy hour. So that is our challenge. Uh, let's fucking go. First, Burnley, we were all a bit like, oh, we don't know how it's going to go because we were pretty down after Fulham. But I think most people were feeling like if we get our first 11 back, then we should be fine. We didn't quite have that because Richarlison got dropped. I believe he had a knock and that meant um, Manor Solomon came in um, and it ended up just being like, nothing to worry about, really. Like a delightful 5-2. Um, we're going to go Burnley winners and losers. So I'm going to go to you first, Bill. Um, winners from that glorious day. Um, it's going to have to be Sonny, really. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess most people would have said that as the first one. But um, playing in the striker role, which we've been kind of thinking about. I know he's, he's Richarlison has started the game and then Son has kind of played there as games went on. But uh, yeah, in the striker role, and he looked unbelievable, wasn't it? He um, took three really, really good goals. Um, and you, you just got to kind of worry maybe for Charlton now if he's going to come back into the team against Sheffield or not. Um, but it's great because it's you know he hasn't scored this season yet. He's I think he's played largely pretty decent. But you know if Sonny he'll be gutted that he hasn't been on the score sheet until now. But yeah, hat trick. Um, so yeah, absolutely delighted for him. And I just thought he looked really really good in that striker role. Um, and you know that could now spell the rest of the season playing there. Who knows? Who knows how it's going to go? But yeah, really really happy for Sonny. You feel like you'd like to see him back in the centre because he looked absolutely lethal, didn't he? I think so. I do think so. It's, it's a really difficult one because I, I really, I do really like Richardson. I really like him as a person. Um, I think the problem is, and the, the difference between, I know I spoke about this last time I was on, the difference between Son and Richarlison is Son has got like the mentality where he can sort of, um, he doesn't like, you, you, you very rarely see Son like, you know, really, really frustrated in the way that Richarlison does. And I think um, the way that Ange plays, the, the striker's not involved much. I think I read this crazy stat that Son had 27 touches of the ball so he scored three goals so he had like a, a goal every nine touches which is insane really and if you're going to play that role for, it's, it's insane and if you're going to play that role for Ange I mean and he had an incredible game but he only touched the ball 27 times you have to be really sort of you have to sort of be able to accept that and I think at the moment Richardson is so like in his own feelings and like getting frustrated and letting his head drop even that you saw those pictures at the end of the game when um, everyone was celebrating with the fans Richardson looks a bit upset again and um, I just think he's think- over- overthinking it too much. I think to play that role, you're going to have to accept that I'm- you're not going to get a lot of the ball. And um, when you do get a chance, you're going to have to take it. And I think mentality-wise, I think Son suits that a lot more than Richardson at the moment. But I don't want to write off Richie. Um, I think he-, he can certainly play there for us. But uh, you'd have to say at the moment that Son is probably the, the favourite to play there against Sheffield United. It's mad, isn't it? Because I feel like half of last season, we were like, why, why? isn't Richarlison getting a chance when Son is completely out of form and now it's just like completely reversed you can't 
I sort of feel like we need to give Richarlison a chance, but how? But you, but if Sonny is going to be in this form, you can't really argue with it. I feel really, yeah, that is a yeah. It's a weird. Well, it's a good. It's a good problem to have rather than a bad problem. Mm-hmm. Like two, two pretty decent strikers playing in that position. That's true, and I have to believe that um, Richie will come good in the end. It's just, it's just tough. It's tough to see him on the sidelines because, as you said, he's such a good dude. But yeah, Sonny is elite, basically, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, his finishing was unreal, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the second one. Like the accuracy of that shot was ridiculous, and yeah, he really does seem to be back on form. And yeah, sorry to say it, but like Richarlison, just yeah, his his finishing hasn't looked great. And I think I don't know if he how bad that knock was, but he wasn't very good against Fulham. I know he scored, but that was probably his worst game of the season. I thought like all round, um, which Ange acknowledged. So yeah, his finishing's been not great. And Son was like so clinical and sh- so sharp, I thought, against Burnley. That first think, goal was um, unbelievable. Yeah. And I think um, we got, it's kind of like the ideal game for Son really, because Burnley is so different to what they used to be a few years back. And um, that worked well in our favour. Like they played a really high line, which is like, that's exactly what Son wants you to do. And um, he got put through on goal three times from that. And I just think it's maybe a little bit naive from Burnley to do that. But um, at least, you know, they're trying something different. And I think when we play teams that are going to actually try and play football, I think Son is like the perfect striker to have. Like Next game against Sheffield United, they're not going to do that. They're going to play like a low block and that might be completely different. So who knows? We might see Richie again. But um, yeah, it was just a perfect game for Son, really. It really was. He got his... Um... Pushkas, Pushkas against Pushkas, yeah, against Burnley. He got yeah. it against Burnley, didn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, so he does like. Now he has um, more Premier League goals than Ronaldo. Does he? Which is crazy. Yeah, and more Drogba. goals and a better Ronaldo. human being. And Drogba as well, right? Yeah, Ronaldo and Drogba. Just overtaken Drogba as well. When he first came to Tottenham, he um, he did this Instagram post like back in the day, being like really emotional that he managed to get Drogba's shirt because he's obviously a big hero of his and. Uh, now he's overtaken him, which is pretty cool. It's mad, isn't it? How long has he been with us now? I feel like I'm not going to go down memory lane too much, but it's been like eight, eight years. Eight, I think. Yeah. yeah, eight years. And it's like crazy that he had that slow start as well and when no one was sure if he was going to cut it. But He was even thinking about leaving. Yeah. I think that, sum- that first summer. Fun. I love that hatching because I think it was just all, they were all such sunny goals, weren't they? Like incredible thinking, sort of, composure and also just that beautiful like that pass from Porro for his third goal was just unbelievable and you just knew as soon as he latched onto it there was just no doubt basically and the build-up the build-up for that third I think that third goal was uh one of our best goals we scored in a very long time like the I think almost every player touched it in the build-up and that pass as well it's just yeah I think that I know there was a lot of really good goals in that game but I think that's one of the best goals we've scored for quite a few years to be honest like overall team play also, I think a lot of people pointed out that all three of our captains scored, right? Son and yeah. the, two, the, <laughs> the two vice captains. Romero, like, suddenly has become a goal scorer. Um, but I think the point with Sonny is he's 31 now. Um, he's the oldest player in the in the team. Every, like, we've got a really young starting eleven now in, like, stark contrast to the teams that... Conte and Jose picked where they they trusted 
more experienced players and, and didn't really have much faith in youth. Certainly Conte didn't. I remember when we hired him and it was like the kind of spin that was coming out of the club was, oh no, he's already looking at the academy. He didn't look at anyone. He didn't, he didn't care. Didn't he have them literally just being like training cones? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't give a shit at all. But, you know, Sonny has to kind of step up. He's now the captain. He's taken on that leadership role. And obviously I think he's tally has to be better than last season right as well um so yeah it's great that he's he's uh got three already i said to ollie i was like he's gonna get the golden boo again and knowledge says me like it's just, like that's very sweet <laughs> it's obviously gonna be harland again but you know we can dream tom who's your winner from the weekend then well, uh, it was a really good team performance, wasn't it? I thought. Uh, I don't think anyone had a bad game. We did. We conceded two, and I think we've touched on the like the Ange ball style that we're going to be touchwood all season. We're going to be high scoring, but we're also going to concede. I looked, and we had twenty-one shots in that um, in that game, and I think the last two games, United and Bournemouth, we had seventeen or eighteen shots. So it is that like all-out attack. Um, and I think and I, about half of those were on target as well. Yeah, 10, 10 yeah. on target. Um, where, and if you think back again, I don't want to take us back to that place, but the dark days of Conte where there were whole halves of football or whole hours where we didn't have a single shot, um, which was crazy. So no, I'm thank loving... you. I'm not, I'm not going back there. No, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm loving Ange Ball. And I just wanted to mention that the assists were essentially shared as well you know we're getting assists from the fullbacks Adogi is one ridiculous player isn't he like he could be our left back like unreal he could be our left back for five years or more you know and unless a big club a bigger whatever unless someone comes in for him because he's so so good so I think both Adogi and Poro got an assist and then Solomon got two assists as well Um, on his debut start in the league, I think. Um, so yeah, just are you look and again looking back to last season. Sorry, um, we had we didn't know where our assists. There was no, our assists weren't happening. Kane was making goals from from thin air and having to assist himself essentially. Um, I think until Bentoncourt. Uh, got injured. He was he he had some great assists, and then after he got injured, we were absolutely screwed. So it's great to see balls in from those um, the fullbacks or the wingbacks, whatever you want to call them. And yeah, some, some kind of the sharing of the assists throughout the team, I think, is really important. Hopefully, there's more of that as as the season goes on. And I know we're going to talk transfers in a bit, but Brennan Johnson's surely going to um, help that. Yeah, we'll definitely get into talking about him later. I think it's like obviously Burnley did play into our hands um, because we play a very similar way, but we just ultimately had better players. Um, And that will hopefully see us through against a lot of teams this season. But it is, but before that game, I was, even though we've been playing this like amazing attacking football, I think partly because Sonny hadn't scored, I was. Because I had sort of thought, oh, we'll score loads of goals, we'll concede loads of goals, but we'll score loads of goals. And we kind of hadn't done either of those things up until that point. And this felt to me more like what I imagined Ange Ball would be, I guess, where we're just creating loads and loads and loads of chances. And there's also players there to finish off those chances as well. And 
just the, Tom, you're right. Just the fact that those were coming from all over the pitch and somebody like Udogi as well, he, he could be like our left back for the next five years, but also if he wanted to be, he could just be like our, you know, roaming creative midfielder. You could almost see him like following a Gareth mm. Bale type trajectory, right? Because the amount of time he just decided to kind of roam like infield or kind of outrun, you know, just looking for whatever space. And I think the, the like fluidity of the whole team is amazing to me. And that's something we also haven't seen for so long. Um, obviously, our, you know, dream man number 10 there is you know did we ever have another number 10 I don't remember but if you watch James Madison and the way people talked about him just kind of roaming all over the pitch and being given and obviously being intelligent enough to do it but being given the license now to do it and the kind of confidence and just and sort of saying to these players you have the freedom to go like to go where you want if you feel like there's an opportunity like take it don't be scared and I love seeing that. Like, Ollie and I were talking, like, what's the real difference? Like, how has Ange made such a difference in such a short space of time? And I think so much of it is just, like, don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Whereas you, you feel like with Conte, obviously an elite coach, a winner, you can't argue with his record, but it was almost like you would get killed for making a mistake. And it doesn't seem to... Like, Andrew's not like cavalier, but he's like, I want you to have the freedom to do what you think is going to work. And you could really see it happening on Saturday. You were like, this is it. These are guys who are confident. It's crazy some of the positions that the fullbacks get into, mm-hmm. right? And we saw it end of last season with Poro, who ended up with like three goals and a few assists, even though he didn't play till February or something. Um but yeah, both those those wingbacks get into crazy positions, just fly forward. Um, and even as we've seen in other games, even Saar and Basuma do as well. So, um, And we haven't even mentioned Madison's rocket, have we? Yeah. What a goal. Madison. What a goal. And I think the thing for me as well is Andrew's whole thing, like his, um, there's a book about him titled this, is um, We Never Stop. And like, when we sort of, the thing is with Mourinho and Conte, and they've had, as you just said, Rose, they've had incredibly successful careers doing this. Is when they get one or two goals ahead, that's it. Then you don't play anymore. You just keep the ball. You don't make any mistakes, and you see the game out. Whereas Andrew's is like, it's five one. I still want you to be attacking all the time. And he he literally says it on the on the touchline. You can hear him saying, "When we're four one up, five one up, play, play, play." And he's he's like relentless all the throughout the whole game. And sometimes you're going to get things where you concede a goal at five one up because of that. But his whole thing is just about always, always playing to score a goal. It's not about ever sort of trying to see the match out at two one or one nil. And um, I think it, I just I'm going to talk about this in a minute um, when we come on to losers, but. I just can't believe he's already sort of, I know, you know, a lot, a lot can happen in the next few games or whatever, but in his only early days, but the difference that he's got these players that are so used to being suffocated and to sort of keeping the ball when we're 1-0 up and trying to, you know, keep it around the back and just try and see out the results. Now just relentlessly attacking. It's, it's, it's actually insane how much he's done in four games, in the space of four games. I, I, you know, I, I don't think we can take it for granted, like how the amount of difference that he has made to these players. And I think you were exactly right, Rose. It's just given them freedom to be able to do that and try and make a mistake. And he, you know, Postacoglu would much rather you try to mistake, made a mistake trying to attack a ball than, you know, trying to, you know, play it out safely for a throw-in or something like that. And I just think, I just can't get over how much he's, of a difference he's made already. I think it's insane, to be honest. 
And also, we did concede towards the end, but we actually also could have gone on to score another one after that point. So. Yeah, it's just <laughs> relentless, relentless attacking all game, all game. And you saw it against Man United as well. When we went in the second half against Man United, there was like that 10 minute period where we were just like relentlessly attacking. And a team like Burnley are not as good defensively as a team like Man United. And then we're just going to blow a lot of teams away if we keep doing that. Yeah. And I feel like I have a lot more confidence now that that is going to happen. Because I also think there is, like, we, we do, we, you know, we don't have like the strongest squad or anything, but it feels like there is something that, um, come, that can come from everybody. Like, I like my winner was Mano Solomon, you know, partly because I feel like I want to give some love to our, you know, to like a rare Jewish player in the game. We don't get many. It's really nice. Um, and he seems to love it here. And he started, you know, slightly ropey fashion, but then he just really, really grew into the game. And you could see him causing them a lot of trouble down that side. And like the amount of times he managed to kind of wriggle through and then obviously got two assists, you know, and I think one of the assists, at least, I think for Sonny's second goal probably was a bit like, well, that's more just because they left Sonny in like acres of space. But at the same time, I think he looked a lot stronger than I think I imagined him because he is obviously quite small. And he is also playing with that absolute confidence as well. So I really, like, I think even though we're not going to have like a huge number of games, I think if we can get Andrew's squad to the point where there aren't really sort of fringe players and everyone can kind of come on and do do like something interesting or exciting or fun or cool like I think and I think Solomon could really be the poster boy for that because he probably won't get like a huge amount of starts but although you never know but it's just it was like an unexpected treat and I loved watching him really he was quite sort of an old school player really lovely to watch yeah I think it's certainly something to keep an eye on because especially on the other side of the wing as well because um a lot of talk of this season has been about the and wingers. He likes players to take people on a bit more on the outside. Like Solomon is really, really good at it. And I do wonder, it's something to keep an eye on whether Kulisewski is maybe going to be the one in the next few games. Who like because that's exactly what Brenton Johnson, Brendan Johnson is really, really good at. is beating people um, with pace around the outside, and we haven't really seen that from Kulisewski. He's had a, he's in a bit of maybe um, a bit of a slow patch kind of thing. And I think Solomon, when you you saw what a winger who plays it in that way that Ange wants, who takes people on and passes it inside, what the damage that they can do. And, um, you know, I just wonder if actually Solomon is actually one of our best suited wingers tangible. And, I, you know, he's put a pretty good stake in there to uh, keep his place in the next game as well. So who would be your loser from, well, I guess it's from the weekend, really. I mean, there's just, there's no losers from this game, ultimately. Maybe Kulu in that instance but yeah yeah I, I i feel too bad i'm not i can't choose a tottenham loser just because i, I just feel like the vibes are so good around everything at the moment so i'm gonna go for um eric ten hag because i watched all of man united arsenal i've watched man united twice now that's the second time i see two or three times a season obviously once in person and i just watch them play and i don't i don't see what they're trying to do I, I, he's been there for a year now ten hag and when you look in the four and again you have to preface everything that we say by you know it's only four games and a lot could go wrong in between that but the amount of style that you can see from Postacoglu already in four games, and then you watch Man United. Like, I don't really understand what style of football Ten Hag plays. I don't understand, you know, they've spent 400, 500 million since he's been there. Like, what is coming through from this Ten Hag philosophy that we're seeing? And when you compare it to An- what Andrew's done in four games, um, I just think it's insane. And we're really, really lucky to have someone with a really clear football philosophy and who is just going to be uncompromising 
Um, and when we come to the transfer window, we'll talk about it a lot more, I think. But he's just getting rid of anyone who's just not going to buy into it ruthlessly, um, quite ruthlessly, in fact. And I just think the, the contrast in, you know, what Andrew's done in four games compared to what Ten Hag has done in a year plus 500, 600 million pounds is, is insane. And um, yeah, I was really, really not impressed with Man United against Arsenal. I just thought they were just booting it long to Rashford. And it's like, well, you brought in this guy to bring in a new philosophy and I haven't really seen it yet. So my loser is uh, Eric Ten Hag for sure. I will absolutely co-sign that. Um, I think he's a terrible human being anyway, um, based on, you know, every yeah, single yeah. piece of news that comes out about United. And there's been some stuff today, but anyway, we don't have to get into that. Um, I thought they were so sloppy, man. I thought they were just terrible. Like, us, when they played us, I didn't really see. I didn't say, "Oh, look, look at the you know the, the playing of this possession or whatever." I didn't. I just. I don't really know. I could, every time I watch them, they look different. I don't really. I never get any sort of vibe like, "Oh, this is a ten hack team now." I just don't get it at all. No, and I also think that there is something about like there is there's a real like we've been that club where there's sort of a cloud hanging over you, right? And I do feel like that's going on at United as well. And it doesn't really seem, there's no joy there at all. Yeah, because he kind of, obviously he's done a lot more, you know, much worse things than this, but he kind of he kind of called out Sancho after the game and then Sancho clapped back at him on Twitter. And yeah, Like just, rightly it's, so, it's, man. Yeah, it's, you just, know. it's just bad vibes around that club, to say the very least, it's bad vibes. Mm-hmm. Like we know what it's like when you start digging out your own players. It just, it doesn't end yeah. well. For anyone, four games, four games. At least we had the decency to wait till after <laughs> Christmas to do it. And also, um, we didn't ever. I mean, you know, we've had some uh, inconsistent defenders, but we didn't spend hundreds of millions of pounds only to end up with a defense of Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire. I mean, I'm like, are you just not like throwing the game at that point? Crazy, absolutely. I just can't believe. <laughs> I feel like there isn't a worse. Well, there's like one other loser of the weekend um, that was probably even more satisfying for us. But Tom, over to you first. Well, I was going to say a loser that I'm sort of torn about. Uh, like, uh, and I mean, that is Eric Dyer. Okay, and maybe it leads us on to our sort of transfer chat. But yeah, Dyer didn't make the squad, did he? I don't know if he's going to end up with a, even a squad number. Um, but we had a lot of defenders on that bench. Uh, Dav, Davis, uh, Perisic, who I guess Conte now views as a as a, as a winger, really. Um, and then young Ashley Good. Phillips um, mm-hmm. had made his... Was that his debut on the bench? Was that yep. his first? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I'm excited for him. But yeah, I'm torn. I kind of feel bad for Dyer, given all that he's done for the club. Um, but I'm also just kind of sad he didn't somehow get himself a move or accept a move or it didn't come for him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't really get it. Um because I I can't imagine that in any conversation he would have had with Ange that Ange would have said that Ange would have given him any hope, really. Like work hard, maybe you'll get back into the squad. Like that's not gonna happen, is it? Like he's not Every time he's a good football player. Yeah. Every time he's a good football player, he obviously doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And when I think so Dav has now gone to the Galatasaray. Yeah, we're gonna Uh, we're gonna get to that in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Um but yeah, on Dyer, I said, you know, I won't miss Dav's Dav's kind of mistakes, but you know, someone reminded me of 
of Dyers last season as well, which were pretty catastrophic. So many. I mean, actually, I'd forgotten as well. Do you like the Liverpool? Like, honestly, Salah at least one, one per game. Yeah, there were some ha- absolute howlers. Um, and, uh, given, given how fast the football is under Ange as well, it just he can't work in that system, can he? Yeah, there's a, 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 yeah, and I know we'll we'll talk about this more of transfers, but there's a bit of a weird sort of situation going on with these players that um, are obviously not in Ange's plans, and he's made that very clear. But they they don't seem to want to leave. Like um, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories flying around about why that might be, and you know whether they're sort of going up against the club and what their contract or whatever. But Hugo seemed to happen to him as well. Um, Dyer had seemed to be turning down offers. Hoybier, I don't quite categorise in the same way because he's played every game this season in some way. Um, but again, he turned down a, a move as well to Fulham. But um, yeah, it's interesting that a lot of these players that are less favoured by Ange just don't seem to want to leave at the moment, which is uh, a bit weird. I mean, with Hoybier, I can understand it because he's got... Does he have two years left on his contract? Yeah. So and he's... He's playing. He's, he, yeah, and he's still no. in his very much in his prime, Hoybier. Like he he could play for uh, you know, he was very much in Atletico Madrid and Bayern Munich and stuff like that. So Yeah, and it wasn't coming- completely crazy that he was in those conversations yeah. either. Yeah. So you could imagine a world where he kind of plays as a substitute for us throughout the season and gets enough kind of game time and it's fine. And then because he's not he's not gonna he's not in any danger of losing his place in the like Danish national yeah. side is either so I I, no. I get that and I even get Hugo really because he released that whole statement didn't he where he explained why he didn't go to Nice because it was a real last minute offer and they didn't say whether they actually wanted him to play any football <laughs> which I and so I understand that like if he still wants to play even if he wants he doesn't want to just go and kind of hang around in Nice because he could probably yeah, just do that when he retires yeah. Or yeah. Or something like that, yeah yeah so I under- so I do understand that and also I feel like he's our you know he was our club captain he kind of served us so well for for what like eight or nine of the ten years he was here um and he has as far as I'm concerned he can take his time and kind of choose what he wants to do next that's fine by me but I don't the dire thing is a conundrum again I sort of say same as Hugo like he's probably earned the right to be able to do what he wants because he's been here I know, guess he's, yeah he's same, same time as Poch didn't he and like he's a, he's been a been a brilliant player for us it's just I don't know it's just strange you'd imagine that he were the thing he would want the most right now is playing football. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. He's, the thing is, he's not over the hill either. He's not 33 no. or something. So How old feels- is he? In my mind, Eric Dyer's been 26 forever, but he's not <laughs> anymore, is he? <laughs> he's still in his t- late 20s, I think. So it feels sad to um, that he's going to sit around for at least half a season until January. Kind of, I mean, saying that you get it's paid very well, I'm sure. So, but you want me to sit around 29. You you want me to sit around and do nothing for six months on however many thousand pounds a week after it, but you know, yeah, because there's rumors that he was linked with uh, Bournemouth and stuff. I think that'd be a really good move for him, like a sort of mid table, lower Premier League team. He would probably play every single game and Bournemouth or Fulham, he'd be be great at and you know, end up as captain fairly quickly and yeah. But there's rumours as well that he sort of wants to go back to Portugal when his um, contract sees out. So who knows? Maybe that's maybe that's his overall plan. Yeah, and that's a reasonable enough plan, I guess. But to just not play football for a whole year, but I don't know. I I don't. I you know I don't know him really. As much as we think we know these players, we don't. Because Andrew's not Andrew's not even putting him in the squad. Like he's not even getting a look in at the moment. Like I don't think he's going to either for the rest of the season. So be weird what happens between now and January. Do you think that is a bit harsh on him? 
Uh, yeah, it's an interesting debate because Andrew himself has spoken about this a little bit. He sort of said, you know, I've been brought in here to make a massive change because we finished eighth last season. I think it was his exact quotes. And I guess this is exactly what a massive change looks like, maybe. I don't know. It's a, it's a hard one. because, But, you know, Eric Dyer is an, an incredible professional and, uh, and he's always been for Tottenham. But maybe it's just one of those things where if you are going to change a football club that needs a lot of change, this is sadly how you have to do it. Yeah, so even with players, because it's not like he's a bad football player and it's not even, he's not even not a technical player. Like he has, he's like fine with the ball. Do you think it's just that he's not, is it that he's not quick enough? Is it that he's just too much associated with the kind of old regime? I think that's it. I think it's Mm. the, I think Andrew's very clearly getting rid of like the old guard, like Hugo, Dyer. Kane has gone. Obviously, that that was a, a different situation, but that's the old leadership team that were in place are pretty much all gone. Uh, Hoybier doesn't get a, a, doesn't start and stuff. So I, I think more it's it's probably more the idea that he's trying to completely change the face of Tottenham, um, completely, and just sadly Eric Dyer falls on the wayside because of that. Yeah, and I think I, I get that really because actually that's something that we've talked about before, and it's not even about whether these players are like good or bad. It's just you have to move on at a certain point. But it's just, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. And I do, I'm, I don't know. I sort of initially with the sort of when the transfer window shut, I was a bit like, oh, I'm slightly concerned about our um, defensive options now. I'm not really, but it does lead me on to my loser of the week, which is me because I fully jinxed um, Mickey and Romero's perfect record. <laughs> <laughs> because they had not conceded a, a single goal when they were on the pitch together. And then obviously uh, they conceded within four minutes. So that one is on me. I'm very sorry, guys. But are, do we, should we be worried that like Dar doesn't play? Um, Sanchez is on his way to Galatasaray. And uh, do we, like, what's the, what's the plan? What's the cover? Is it like, Phillips is going to cover Romero, and then who covers Van de Ven? Like, gentle. Yeah, I was, um, I was worried to be honest when when the window shut, and then when Sanchez was going. But there's some stuff coming out today that apparently Andy is really impressed with Phillips, and um, I guess Ben Davis can play left centre back pretty pretty decently as well. So, I guess those are your two deputies, and then we've got Dorrington, who's a really really good young player as well. I, I was initially worried, but now I'm just like, do you know what? Let's just get a load of young players in. Let's just go for it because that starts with the spell of a new era. And I think if Andrew's seen enough in those guys, um, we've got some amazing young players coming through. Let's just bring them in. Let's just go for it because, I mean, it, it can't really be much worse than some of the, the performances we've had from some of these centre-backs over the last few years. So let's just go for some young players. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, that I take that as a kind of personal slight on me, but, um, you know, I think you're right. It's like, it's now or never basically, isn't it? Like if we're not, you know, we have to get these, we don't have, we're not in a bunch of competitions. We're literally in two now, does it? Um, so let's just get these guys while we can. Um, I think that's right. I would like a grade from each of you on this transfer window, which has been really chaotic. (laughs) And now like, like kind of looking back at it as a whole, I, do, I feel like I can't believe it's all the same transfer window. Like Vicario arrived and Madison Kane feels left. like years ago. Madison, it? yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. he already feels like he's been there forever. Yeah, but that happened in the same window as, yeah, Brennan Johnson. It feels, and us all trying to talk ourselves into 
like Conor Gallagher and who's that guy? Who's that other centre back we made like a last ditch? Lloyd um, Lloyd Kelly Kelly yeah yeah I'd never heard of even though we played him last week yeah <laughs> um so in honour of your new job Bill um I want a grade for this transfer window I'm going to go to you first Tom I am going to say B minus. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, you know, given our start, 10 points from four games, I am looking at things with rose tinted spectacles on. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to say B minus. We still didn't sign a fucking striker, and I'm not going to do that rant again. I mean, we did. I just sign... can't believe we're back. <laughs> I can't I mean, we had, we no. had one season no. where you didn't have to say it. No. <laughs> Um, well, we did we did sign a striker, technically. We signed that Valiz, the Argentinian lad. Oh, yeah. Is but, he allowed to play? Does he really exist? It seems sad that so far no one's seen him. He hasn't been on the bench. I don't know. Is he getting a work permit? Clearly, yeah, Ange... It's still January, so he's going to have to probably wait until January until oh. he's integrated in the team fully. He can, he can play, but I think Ange said don't expect to see him for four months. Yeah, I think the spin from the club is that he's one for the future. I guess these days, 15 million or whatever we paid for him is one for the future. Fingers crossed he's amazing. But yeah, we haven't signed a kind of striker who can play immediately. But look, Mickey's been amazing. Madison's been amazing. Uh, Vicario, we didn't mention him against Burnley. He's making some fucking excellent saves, isn't he? And uh, excellent saves and incredible celebrations. Yeah, him, <laughs> him and Romero roaring together was amazing. And yeah, it was only what three or four weeks ago that I was worrying about the keeper because we've been quite terrible at buying keepers. And you know, he's still he's really young still, and you know, he's not the most experienced keeper in the world. We could have. Uh, you know, United bought Anana, for example, for a lot more money with a lot more experience. So we could have found a more experienced keeper, but he's been amazing. So, yeah, anyway, B minus. And the other thing is that Udogi and even like Saar, for example, feel like new players. I mean, like um, Destiny obviously is is new. He was on loan last season. But yeah, even some people like Saar and Basuma are kind of sugarcoating the situation because they also feel like new players because they're so underused. Yeah, it basically feels like we've got like sort of three quarters of a new squad ultimately. Yeah, mm. still, yeah. What about you, Bill? Um, so my grade has changed pretty drastically in the last few days. Like, if you'd have asked me on Friday when the window shut, I probably would have said like a, a D. But now, like thinking about it and having a bit of space and seeing the Burnley game and seeing <clears throat> Ange and stuff, I, I think I'd push it up to a C plus just because my my biggest worry at the beginning was um, we sold Harry Kane and we haven't really um, replaced him in any sort of meaningful way. We, we haven't bought another striker that's ready to play for Tottenham. Um, but I think the, there are some massive, massive positives of this window, like Madison. It's just an incredible, incredible sign in whichever way you look at it. Van de Ven is just, I can't believe how good he is already. Vicario is a great sign in. I think we made some really, really smart sign ins. And my biggest worry was, you know, we we didn't get another centre back in other than Van de Ven. But if Ange is actually happy with Phillips and some young players, then maybe this has actually been a really, really good start to a rebuild. I think it's like we're doing, we're getting a lot of players out of the squad, um, even though they're mostly on loan. But it's a completely new Tottenham. So the one that we've been seeing, I think of the um, 
the the team that played against Burnley, um, only Son was not signed by Paratici. I think if we're talking about the transfer window, he deserves massive props because he has brought in some incredible players. Um, so I think it's a, a start of a really new era. And I think, you know, I would have maybe liked to have seen him spend a bit more of the Kane money or spend, um, I think our net spend overall was something like 20 million, which isn't really a lot when you've, you've got 100 million cash coming into the club. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm really, really excited for the season. And I think um, we've done some really, really good things. So I, I'm bumping up the grade to a C plus. I mean, I think if I look at the at this transfer window in particular as a whole, like we've what we've done is replaced some of our best players. We've just replaced them like five years after they yeah. stopped being. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Exactly, fine. but we've also finally got our Jan and Toby replacements, right? Yeah. And um, you can argue and, Dembele as well. Even yeah. last year, I mean, you and, know, and potentially, <laughs> and potentially our Walker and Rose replacements, mm-hmm. guys. Yes, my yeah. God, and our and our Hugo replacement. If you look yeah. at our transfer since Baratici's come in. It's just, it's been an incredible improvement compared to what it was like before. Yeah, I think we all. I think it was just that thing of we sold our greatest ever player, and oh, me, the, the Kane thing. Yeah, and I think that yeah, there's there's no way around that really, and we all feel good now, but it all is quite. Like I think we just we don't know. We've had an amazing start to the season, but who knows what's going to happen? There may be times when it's just not going to work against like better opposition, or you know we we get thumped at some point, um, and we'll be thinking, or like we get a few injuries, and then we don't know. Um, but overall, I mean, I feel really good about it. I I'm giving like my real grade is probably like yeah, probably like a B minus. Um, my other grade is an F for farewell to my guy Davinson. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, after Bill mentioned Paratici, I was going to say the well, he's shining on the ins. Our outs are really highlighting the previous regime, and I'm not going to name any names, Steve Hitchin. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that players just can't get rid of them. We cannot get rid of them. And Dombele's about to go on another loan on 200k a week. I'm sure we're still paying some portion of his wages to get him get him out of the place. Just the most miserable man of all time, he seems we to actually be. Only, we actually only sold two players in uh, Winks. And, I know Sanchez is now the third one, but we only actually sold Winks and Kane. Yeah, summer. we were only selling players called Harry, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Harry Winks actually until the other day. I forgot. Mm-hmm. And even even Spence, who went to um, Leeds, went to right? Leeds, right? Even I mean, Ro- don't get me started on Roden. Uh, Spence has gone to Leeds and was seemingly the line at the time was from Conte, and everyone was Dan Levy wanted him. It's one that he pushed through, and it's like obviously gone terribly because Ange did was not at all interested. But yeah, shout out Dav. I am sad that he's going and we've lost about bloody 25 million on him or something. But um, he seems I mean, he has been here six guy. years. I feel like that's probably all right. Yeah, well, he's had a lot of chances and good on him. He's going to play Champions League football. My, I mean, my only worry is, I don't know. I'm, is it really, do you really want to be sending your, your black players to Turkey? I don't know. I don't want to like, you know, slander an entire country, but I do I have, you know, some slight concerns. Mind you, we did not treat him that well either. So um 
I want just whatever I want him to thrive to flourish I think he was really unlucky to be here at a time when we were our most chaotic I don't think very many players really um, flourished in the environment that we have created over the last five or six years so and I think if he was arriving right now it would be a different story um but he always tried his best and he seems like a good dude and I will always have his adorable Instagram account, except for that one time when toxic Spurs fans made him delete it. If you think I'm <laughs> going to forgive or forget, you are wrong. Anyway, farewell, see, my farewell, my prince. Did you see his like last thing as a Tottenham fan was uh, a Tottenham player was just like running to hug Son when he scored his third goal. That was pretty. I know. Nice, I know. Nice little thing. Exactly. When, even in the end, when when everyone had the videos at the end of the Burnley game, and everyone was celebrating with the players. Like Davin Santos is really, really popular with the players. Like he's a big, he's a big influence on them. I think. I think he'll be missed, missed by the yeah. players a lot. There, he's really, really popular. That's really. I mean, that makes me feel really good actually, because uh, he was so um, hated by a lot of our fan base. Um, that it's nice to know that he like felt the love inside the club. But I also hope that he knows that there were at least three of us who stuck up for him on a weekly basis. <laughs> and I wasn't on last week, but I would have stuck up for him for Fulham because he had the balls to take a penalty, which a lot of players didn't. He did, yeah. And I'm I'm glad that you have said that his last act as a Spurs player was embracing Sonny and not missing a penalty. That's that's how we will remember him. Okay, so I'm glad we're feeling pretty positive about the transfer window, guys. Is it's just it all it takes is like an amazing win, right? And we all feel good about our team again. Um, but what we now have to face is uh, two weeks without our fix because it's international break. It's an absolute disgrace. My only thought on the international break is if those fuckers injure Madison, I am burning down St. George's Park. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah. Honestly, we we march on the England HQ, wherever the hell it is. I. I'm trying to remember, but I have no idea. Is um, it somewhere in the Midlands? <laughs> I think it's the Midlands, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a museum as well somewhere, right? We can burn that down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stop do taking not... a bit of culture, then burn down the HQ. <laughs> Every England game until now has been do not injure game, and now it's do not fucking injure Madison. It's mad he's only got four caps, I think, for England, Madison. Um, considering how bloody good he is, like so, and he's showing up so many other um, English midfielders who've been in that England squad for ages. Yeah, maybe I, Southgate's like big club bias because Maguire is still in there, and Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips is in the England squad. And honestly, I don't. His his rationale for that was basically, I want to play a certain way, and. So I just need those players. I'm like, mm, that's not that's that's not how international football works. You take you get your best no, players no. and you see what you can do with them. Yeah. Sterling, who's been one of Chelsea's best players, one of their only good players, just randomly gets dropped. It's like <laughs> I don't really understand what I don't know what he's doing, man. I don't know what he's doing. I don't that. get it. I mean, I suppose the one thing is that maybe um, Madison just won't play very much, which I sort of would feel sad for him because he seems so thrilled to be in the squad. It was just like his all of his social media posts are just adorable, aren't they? But this one was like, I'll never get tired of seeing my name on this sheet. And I was like, he's, oh, yeah, you. he's got to play him, surely. He's the, easily the best, most informed, other than Bellingham, who's in, like gone stratospheric levels. Like he's easily the most informed England player at the moment. So 
Uh, yeah, but you're talking, Southgate. yeah, this is yeah, like Southgate. earth logic and it's not Southgate logic. I know, it's really stressful, actually. Um, also, one brief aside on Madison. There was an excellent piece in the Times about him uh, this week uh, on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Uh, about just what a lovely guy he is and it um, detailed. It had loads of testimony from previous coaches and it was about him kind of going to the next level and how the actually the Norwich scout said that he was, or the someone at Norwich who, work, who works for Norwich, one of the coaches said he was trying to persuade us to sign him when he went to Leicester. And we seem to think, and I think a lot of people seem to think he had a bad attitude. And he's flashy, but basically everyone in this piece said he didn't have a bad attitude. And my favourite bit was just that Delia loves him. Uh, and every time he would go back as a Leicester player to play Norwich, he would go and see Delia and her her partner who, who owned Norwich in their, both in their 80s and was also lovely to Delia's 100-something-year-old mum. Um, that detail man I was like he's literally like James Madison stop being perfect perfect challenge it's it's literally impossible everything about him is so glorious and that he's so genuine as well like all everything that he does seems to be just kind of completely legit and spontaneous and delightful I have this whole thing where I said that um, because I just didn't really realise how good he was that um, he was like my Laney Boggs in She's All That and he just had to join Tottenham slash take his glasses off and I realised how beautiful he is. But now I've got a different uh, teen romantic hero that I would like to compare him to because he's literally perfect. He's Pacey Witter. Oh. <laughs> You're hitting all my references here, Rosa. You know you are. I love She's All That so much. I, I Who doesn't, man? It, actually, my seven-year-old suddenly likes rom-coms. So, oh my god, incredible! What a film, yes. She's All That. But also, yeah, Pacey. He is. Mm-hmm. So it just it works on every level, basically. Um, who else do we know? Who else has gone on international break now that we're doggy? I saw it's funny because um, now things come full circle. So that guy who very famously said about Benton Kerr and Kulisevsky um, will never make it at Tottenham, has now come out in support of Udogi and said he can't believe that he's not been picked for Italy, which is actually insane when you think about it and how good that he has been. But um, he got picked for the under-21s and he's now pulled out of that um, to have a rest. So that's really good um, because, um, yeah, I just, again, he's one of those ones where he got injured last season but very quickly derailed. So delighted with the fact. But I just can't believe he's not playing in the Italy squad yet. That's surely only a matter of time. Yeah, that's mental. I mean, I don't really know who else is in their squad, so maybe they have like, a brilliant left they, back. They've but... just got Spalletti as manager. Just this is first squad, and uh, he didn't pick your doggy for some reason. Really weird. Vicario is in there though. Yeah, yeah he's like fourth choice keeper. Uh, or something, uh, fourth isn't he? Keeper, yeah. So yeah, so hopefully, hopefully really nothing will good, happen to him. We did a really good interview with Michael Bridge, both of them, and they both speak insanely good English. Um, and they're both just like the best people. They, I love them both a lot. Yeah, check that out with Michael Bridge. A really, really good interview. And they're both basically just loving life at Tottenham, they said. Yeah, and Vicario's Instagram post as well was like, thank you so much to all the Tottenham fans. You've like really welcomed me. So sweet. Honestly, the vibes are just perfect, aren't they? So please don't break any of our players' international teams. Um, I will do a quick Spurs women update, which is... There's not actually a lot to say from last week. We haven't signed any more players. Um, one of our players, um, Lena Gunning-Williams, has gone out on loan to Ipswich Town. 
So, which seems to be a good move. I don't know anything about them, but um, Caroline and Rachel from N17 Women both seem to think that's a pretty good move for her. So, so that's good. Hopefully she'll get some game time. Um, basically, the big news of the week at Spurs Women was that Bethany England's come back to training and they all seem to be entirely buzzing about it, as am I. So that's exciting. And our new keeper, Barbara Votikova, um, has been like wandering around London and going onto um, bookshops on barges and picking up a copy of 1984, which she is apparently reading. So um, I'm into that, basically, but that's it. There isn't really anything else. Um, hopefully there'll be some signings next time we speak. Let's move on now to rolling in the tweets in honour of our hat-trick hero, Sonny. Um, we asked everyone, what are your favourite hat-tricks? Billy, over to you. Yeah, so we said, after a fantastic sunny hat-trick this weekend, we want to know your very favourite hat-tricks for Tottenham. Um, as always, the more obscure, the better, to avoid everyone just saying a certain night in Amsterdam, because obviously that is the correct answer to this question. But um, STK says, Ian Moores versus Bristol Rovers. Didn't even get to keep the ball, though. I'll have to be honest, I do not know who that is, but I'm guessing that was a good hat-trick. Um, Brad says, Teddy against Newcastle in December 1994 at White Hart Lane. Now, this one is probably the most popular answer, which I think summarises our fans pretty quick, pretty nicely. It says, Carrez, who says, no contest. Ronnie Rosenthal's hat-trick against Southampton is the best ever. Not in terms of emotion at Amsterdam. I'd argue it's even better than Bale's into one. Lee Barrett from Gallows, uh, the Bang Gallows, says exactly the same. Rocket Ronnie at Southampton in the cup, or Klinsman's four at Wimbledon in the second spell when he was really struggling at the bottom. Um, Turbo Trucker Timmy agrees with young Klinsman as well, but he got a hat-trick in a 6-3 win at Watford. I think that was a first league cup tie too. Ozzy Ardila's in charge, and we still started that second scoring that season scoring loads um another one that comes up a couple of times and that said uh defoe versus wigan five goals our very own hometown glory cousin davina says bale on boxing day 2012 versus aston villa um i remember watching that match um with my granddad actually uh, at christmas time um andreas again says defoe as well he actually got more than three it wasn't really a hat trick but he's got three plus two and a nine one win uh, ben says, our oh, beloved Eric Lamella versus Monaco in 2015. A certain Kylian Mbappe made his European debut that evening. Um, and best of luck to Eric Lamella, who will be playing against Arsenal in the Champions League very, very shortly. Uh, Harry Goodchild says, Naeem Patrick at Main Road in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and against Manchester City in 1993. Not that high quality overall, but it was on the box and I was 12, so it let, left its mark. This one I was there for in the ground. I remember it well. George Paquito versus Young Boys was special. Uh, Crouch against Young Boys because we were almost qualifying for the Champions League for the first time in ages and very nearly went out in the qualifiers. Um, our beloved Oli says Ronnie Rosenthal as well. I stayed up listening on the radio. My mum had the score and told me to come and watch the highlights. I pretended to be asleep as it was past my bedtime. My induction into feigning delight, disappointment and a Twitter ahead of my stream life. Lovely, lovely story there. Thanks, Oli. Uh, Simon says Bayer was great, but only one when he a rocket Ronnie versus Southampton. Um, another one who comes up quite a lot is Harry Kane, of course. He scored a lot of hat tricks for us. Um, Elliot Rogers says against Leicester in the 6 1, he actually scored four goals. We were smashing teams for fun at the end of that season. He scored three against Hall a week after. Um, I always remember that season because Lukaku was winning the Golden Boot race until the last two games, and Harry scored seven goals in the last two games against Hall and Leicester to win the Golden Boot. Um, Seasick Posh says Graham Roberts perfect hat-trick against Southampton in 1982 nice old school one there Brett says Bale versus Sheffield United during lockdown every single finish was superb regrettably soundtracked by Darude 
uh, Giroud after the goals. You just had to be there for those. That was a classic moment in time. Daniel Shack says Chris Armstrong against Everton. Uh, Andy Perry says Klinsman at Southhouse Park. Um, another one which comes up a few times, Koista Koglu says Kane versus Astros Tripoli in Europa, scored a header from across from Fazio. There you go. That is a very definition of niche. Uh, George Lacey says being there for Bales in Milan was just magic. Um, Carly says Baby Bell Hattrick versus Inter. We've got another shout for Teddy Sheringham versus Leeds from Quibi. Um, another one from for a shout for Ronnie Rosenthal as well. And this one, I have no memory of this game. No memory of playing this team and definitely no memory of this hat-trick, but I'm assured that it happened. Reese Mullins said Soldado scored a hat-trick versus Anzi, the Russian team in the Europa League, which I, I was probably there for it, but I have literally no memory of that whatsoever. Uh, Warren says Ronnie as well. And then Ram says, of course, it has to be the more hat-trick versus Huddersfield, which is actually a really, really similar time to the one he scored against um, Ajax. And then he brought his child out onto the pitch at White Hart Lane. I remember that, the new, the new stadium. That was brilliant. And Jamie says, he who must not be named against Stoke, light blue away kit, which is a very big game for the for the, for the initiation of mine, Roses and Charlie's friendship, that game in particular. And Kane from the lane finally simply has a picture of the legend in one of Tom's favourite games, Vinicius scoring against Marine, of course. How could we forget that one? And uh, yeah, so lots of shouts for Ronnie Rosenthal, lots of shouts for Kane, lots of shouts for Bale. Lauren also says, after taxi for Michael, technically more than a Hattie, but Defoe's five goals in our 9 one win against Wigan. And that, another one from James there for that one as well. And finally, we have Mido on his debut at White Hot Lane. Again, well, I'll, we're going to count this one, even though it doesn't really count. He, it was only a brace that he scored. Um, but I 100% stand convinced he would have netted the third if he'd stayed on. So in my head, it counts. Well, we'll let you have that one too. So yeah, lots of good hat-tricks there. Uh, what about you guys? Any particular favourites? I was just going to add, because regular listeners will know my memory is very short. Although I've been going for 20 years, I cannot ever recall individual games. But one that was very fun, last season, Sonny's hat-trick uh, against Leicester in the in the six two when he'd been left on the bench came on well I can't remember what minute he came on but he very quickly scored a hat trick uh you know how many players come off the bench and score a hat trick unfortunately I thought that would ignite that was the start of him getting another sort of 25 30 goals last season didn't happen but very very fun game to be at that six two against Leicester I feel like there's two themes with these hat tricks. And one is that I thought it was going to be the start of something. I thought it would kickstart something. So that Soldado one I love because I don't actually remember that game, but obviously that feeling about Soldado that was like finally going to happen. Um, and and like Vinicius, like we probably thought that was really going to happen for him. I mean, we just, we needed it, right? But the other thing is loads of these hat tricks are like not hat tricks. They're like four goals. <laughs> Which I like to think says something about Tottenham, didn't, really. Um, it probably doesn't, but I feel like we really go for it. Didn't Berbatov score four against like Reading once in some mad game? That was the one. That I is the very like, um. That is the extra one I was going to add. Not I because I one. remember it. I was at that game. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't remember game. it at all. My memory is also terrible. Um. But our friend Tom also put that. I said. To, I said. I asked everyone in one of our WhatsApp groups. I said for your contributions, and our friend Tom put it in, and I said it's technically technically not a hat trick, but I'll let you have it. But also take it to Twitter, and he was like, I deactivated months ago, but it's good to know who's who muted me. So. Sorry, Tom. I didn't realise you'd left Twitter. Um, mine was uh, the Klinsman, was also technically not a hat-trick, was Klinsman against Wimbledon at Sellers Park because 
I was at that game and that's one of the like kind of prior to sort of the Kane like Poch and Kane and and all of that that was just genuinely one of like the best days of my life because we didn't have a lot and obviously that was a season we like nearly got relegated and Arsenal won the double and going into that game like my dad and I just kind of went along to see if we could get tickets and which now thinking about it is mad because it was an away game but we just thought we'd see and we ended up getting tickets for not a lot of money off some dude outside and then we went in and it was just I think we went did we go like one nil down initially or something and then it was just goals galore and that is and that like saved us from relegations that is one of my favorite memories one of the best Spurs days of my life and when I looked up that game earlier this evening it was like Four goals from Jürgen Klinsmann and a yellow card for Nicola Berti. So thank you for your contribution, handsome Italian. Um, Billy, what did you say yours? What's yours? Um, funny enough, I was going to say that Lucas Moore won against Huddersfield as well, just because if you remember, it was like, I think it was the last home game before the Champions League final. And it was like, a, it was like we were sending them off to war, like waving them off with like, <laughs> on the off, off, to, off to go and fight in war. It was really, really good. Really good vibes that one. So yeah, mine would have been uh, the Lucas Moore Huddersfield one as well, but just because it was like the vibes were insane. He brought his son out. The son was doing keepy ups on the pitch, and um, that was the around the the only time in my life where I actually thought Tottenham were going to win the Champions League. So got to go for that one. But also, it's mad to he think that play. he was. Like, he didn't play in the final. He didn't play. I was just going to say he yeah. was on like an absolute hot streak, and then he didn't. He's got play. Like two hat tricks in two weeks, and then he didn't play. But, yeah. I mean, it, like obviously, for years after that, I was like, I stand by everything that um, that snake did, every decision he made, and now I'm like, that was obviously like utterly criminal, and you should have cited Lucas Moura. So I'm very, yeah, we're all into our like rewriting history phase now. I also remember that Stoke game with you and Charlie. We also thought we were, that was another like, what that's, this is going to happen? We met. thought we were going to win yeah. the league. Yeah, of course, <laughs> the recurring theme in our friendship for sure. Yeah. <laughs> definitely going to be different this time guys definitely 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 (laughs) um i guess sheffield is probably too far away for us to really talk about it but we are are we all going to be there i think i've got a ticket i wasn't gonna i was supposed to be um i suppose i'm supposed to be at an event um but i just can't miss it now i i have to i want to try and go to every single landable game that i can't I have to go. I'm gonna to have to. I have to sack off that event and go because I just can't not be there. I have to be at every single eligible game that I can get. I can't can't get enough. It's also been so long as well, right? And I applied for a Fulham Fulham Cup ticket, didn't get it despite having loads of points. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a, like a full month between games. It's crazy. Um, yeah. And we're not gonna have any European football. We're already out of the Carabao bow. Um, so got to try and get to as many league games as possible. I think. It's going to be absolutely packed out every time, oh, isn't yeah. it, now? It's going yeah. to be so much fun. Can't pain. wait. It's such a good feeling. It's so good. I feel like just looking back, just looking at this team and the whole, I feel like we say, you know, vibes every other word at the moment because it just really accurately sums up our situation. But what is happening for us now, I think it just it just shows how we're not the sort of club, like even if we'd done what Conte wanted us to do which is just like buy loads of expensive experienced players I still just I just don't think it would have fitted and I think what we're getting now it is but I also 
I like I also feel like I think that's what most people most fans really want from their football yeah. club. You don't you just want players where you feel like they're having fun and you can feel connected to them again. And like unless you're a super club, you don't where you kind of expect to have the best players. It doesn't really matter. You just want to have a good time. And I know we were talking about it last night, but there was like the quotes that our friend Chris shared of Postacoglu coming out in support of the Australian gay players. There was um, an article going around about him talking about um, um, being critical of some racist and sexist jokes that were being told at like a football dinner. Like he's just he's just perfect in, in every single conceivable way that you want. And it's just I just feel so lucky that he's our manager and I just want to drink it all in every single moment of it it's just it feels like we're at the start of something really special and even if you know we don't go on to win a trophy or whatever it just feels so nice to have something to be proud of again and like believe in and stuff it's just yeah i just can't i absolutely can't get enough of everything about it i think that can't be overstated actually how that's good of a want, guy but also how good of a guy he seems to be like yeah when we when we saw those quotes um and just it's the way you know i haven't we haven't really talked about any of the other stuff and what's happened in Spain and, and all of that. And we don't, you know, need to go into that at all right now, but just the way he conducts himself. And it is really important, actually. It's important to have a manager where you feel like they're actually decent and they can say, it's not difficult to say the things that he said. It's actually quite a low bar, but most of them don't seem to get anywhere near like touching that bar, let alone clearing it. And he's just kind of effortless and it just seems... Like that's who he is and it really means, it means a lot to us and, but I think it really means a lot like specifically in this moment of football. So and if you ever, if you ever want to go down another and rabbit hole, if you look for his quotes about um, the Japanese players at Celtic sign, because someone in a press conference said, you've signed these four Japanese players and he stopped them immediately and said, you know, you can't just say four Japanese players. These are all individuals. They're all completely different to one another. Um, it's really dangerous to just label them as four Japanese players. And it's a really, really good press conference. I'd highly recommend to check it out. And it just shows what an incredible guy that he is. And stop being perfect challenge. Impossible. Um, let's move on to wrapping up this podcast. I think we've nearly we've nearly made it under an hour. Not quite. Um, but let's do culture and see if we don't go over it too much. Um, Tom, what are you going to talk to us about this week? Well, I've had a very cultural couple of weeks. I saw a couple of things at the Tate, um, which were good. What were they? Uh, the uh, Hilda Clint. Uh, mm -hmm. And Mondrian exhibition, which was quite was cool. Was it good? It, it looks good. Cool. I think one of the reviews I read said they kind of shoehorned the two artists together. They sort of forced them together. They didn't know each other, both kind of quite abstract. But yeah, there was some really beautiful stuff in there. And then I saw the other exhibition, um, which was about the kind of links between photography and painting and art they had some warhols and hockneys um and some other yeah some really some really cool stuff in that as well they're both on at the tape modern but then yeah most importantly i saw the effect at the national theater which this is what i'm waiting for honestly incredible one of the best things i've ever seen on stage um and billy will probably i don't know that i've ever watched anything with papa esadu in who was one of the leads but yeah, oh my god, man, he is like so good. Apparently, was he not in "I May Destroy You"? 
Yeah, I'm kind of the one person that didn't watch that. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's I, it, I'm stubborn, and the more people that tell me to watch something, I don't. So I just didn't. Um, and it sounded quite kind of dark. Um, he but, was brilliant in it, though. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard he was amazing. Apparently, he made his name uh, with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, mm-hmm. He was the first Black Hamlet, I think. Um, oh my God, he blew me away. He was absolutely incredible in in the effect. The reason I booked it is it's written by Lucy Preble. I think it was first the first run of it at least five years ago, quite a while ago, um, had Billy Piper in it. Maybe it was more like 10 years ago. Um, and she apparently sort of adapted the script and worked with the actors and the director, Jamie Lloyd, who's like the kind of the hottest director in theatre. Um, I've seen a couple of other things of his. Anyway, it was really, really good for... for there was only four characters in it, four actors. They were all incredible. The staging was really, really good. And just had one of the most diverse audiences I've ever seen at the National or at theatre in general, which I think is really important. Um, and, yeah, honestly, Paparazzo, I now will try and watch everything he's ever been in because he was so good. So was it the National? At the National, I think it's on till early October. The female lead... Taylor Russell is uh, Harry Styles' new girlfriend. Oh, um, yeah. Didn't. Oh, yeah. Well, weirdly, I also, <laughs> after. This is uh, what we like culture and then a little bit of celebrity oh, gossip. Yeah. I also went to the National Portrait Gallery. I forgot that. The rehang, which was quite cool. Um, but yeah, after we'd left the National Portrait Gallery, I was on the strand and Harry Styles and his new girlfriend just cycled past me on uh, city bikes or whatever they're called. Um, no, line bikes, whatever, line bike? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Those bikes that you just rent. Uh, and I was like, is that fucking Harry Styles? It was weird. And it was because um, then I realised, yeah, his girlfriend was in the play that I saw a few days later. But, yeah, that's my showbiz gossip and my theatre pick. Very nice. I do also want to get back to the National Portrait Gallery because it is one of my absolute favourites. It's maybe my favourite place yeah. in London, really. Yeah. So central and you can just pop in and see like, so much cool stuff. For but free. also isn't too overwhelming. Yeah. Like if you go to the National Gallery, it's too much. Yeah. And it, even the Tates, you're like, fuck, where, yeah. do, where do I start? Whereas the MPG is quite compact. That's yeah. it. And they've done and is it. Does it feel different? Doesn't actually feel that different. I'll be honest. It's a lot cleaner and like <laughs> it's a bit sleeker. But yeah, there's still like just that massive Tudor bit. And then all the modern stuff that's like, yeah, very cool. And the mixture of cool, very uh, cool photography and, you know, and, and cool uh, paintings as well. Um, so, yeah, the, I'm really glad it's reopened because it was closed for ages. Yeah, it's nice. I'm going to have to head back there really, really soon. Billy, what about you? Um, there's a bit of a cinema glut at the moment for two reasons. One is because Barbenheimer is still literally number one and two, like seven, eight weeks later. And obviously there's a strike going on at the moment, which has kind of pushed out a lot of stuff. So I haven't seen anything good in the cinema for a while. Um, so I would, uh, thought I would have said Ahsoka as well, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not massively into it yet. It's okay. It's not bad. So I'm going to go for At Home with the Furies, which is on Netflix, um, documentary about the Tyson Furies family. And I absolutely loved it. I think I binged it in like one day. And um, it's just amazing. Like, it's really, really interesting because I'm, a fan of Tyson Fury the boxer, not necessarily a fan of Tyson Fury the person, but I think he's an amazing boxer. But obviously he has a lot of battles with mental health and it's a really like interesting look at what that is like to live with. Um, and his wife, Paris Fury, is like a superwoman. Like she is 
an incredible mum to these children. I think they've got five or six children with all increasingly elaborate names like Venezuela as well. Amazing names. Venezuela. Amazing. But the ways that she holds that family together is an amazing watch. And I'd highly recommend anyone who's into that kind of like family uh, reality TV to watch it because um, she is a total star and she is the way that she deals with Tyson's mental health, the way that she deals with these kids um, and the way that she holds the family together is just a great watch. And I really, really have come out of it being a massive Paris Fury fan. So yeah, at home with the Furies. I watched the, I watched the first episode and I, I have no interest in boxing whatsoever. <laughs> Or him. Um, he is like a superwoman. She is but, insane. And- but yeah, both of them. I probably don't agree with everything they think or um, believe, but um, I both of them were pretty likeable. And like you said, the stuff about mental health I found really interesting. Him, both him and his dad are amazing advocates for um, physical exercise to improve your mental health. And I think that's where his his careers come out of. Um, so yeah, I found the mental health stuff in that really interesting. And obviously there's loads of stupid laughs as well. Like, yeah. And they, like you said, there's a million kids as well that are very funny. And yeah. all seem to be named after a random place. And then the names are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe you're nearly selling me a reality TV show about boxers. Like those are two things <laughs> I would normally just be like, yeah. oh, thank you. No, I've, I've got no interest in boxing either, Rosa, but it was, uh, it was quite good. Amazing. Um, okay, I, I just, I just need to get some something off my chest right now with my culture pick, which is um, Starstruck is back, and you all know how much I oh, loved the first two series of that. Um, I've watched the first two episodes. Uh, I don't really know what the fuck they're doing. I'll be honest with you, Jesse oh, and Tom are are not together. Oh, <laughs> feel... they break up straight away, don't they? In the first straight episode. away. <laughs> and I've read some reviews and like a couple of interviews and they all seem to feel like this was a great idea and necessary and subverting audience expectations, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not here for that. Don't sell me a romantic comedy and then be like, oh, by the way, this is the anti-romantic comedy. No, I'm not interested. Um, you give me two people with good chemistry and I just want to see them be in the same scene together. Is he still in it, though? Because I think we've discussed this before and he is my problem with the show. I know, and that's fine. You, everyone is allowed their opinion. I love her. I love Rose I even went to see a work-in-progress show of hers recently and she's just the best. Um, but, yeah, I don't love him, I'll be honest. I mean, but the thing is, what they've done is she now has... Um, he's got a new love interest and she's got a new love interest. And that's fine. And I will say that they're sort of... They're like meet cute and their first date was all like delightful and I did genuinely lol several times but it was that thing of I don't you could have just given his lines to Tom and it would have worked just as well they've just brought in new characters just to mix it up a bit and I genuinely that is one of my like biggest problems with TV in general where you fall in love with a TV show because you love watching these characters interact and then like second or third season they decide to bring in a bunch of new characters and Nobody cares. Like, I don't care. I don't care how well you do it. I'm not interested in these new people. I want the original people. I want them interacting with each other. So I feel absolutely cheated. I was so buzzing about the return, and I don't care if it makes me um, not kind of down with uh, their ideas about it. Um, I, want my, I want my couple back. I'd listen. I'd ship it, and you can't take it away from me. So, you know, 
two episodes in, so we'll we'll see, basically. So I feel I'm pretty down, guys. I'm pretty down. <laughs> oh, sorry, Rosa. I need some Angeball to cheer me up, but oh, now what am I going to do? Oh, another 10 days. 10 days. Okay, we can do this. We can get through this. Um, we'll figure something else out for our sort of um, interim pod. Um, in the meantime, just absolutely buzzing to chat to you all about the best football team in the world. Uh, Billy, will you see us out? Up the spot, Alice.